Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, how's it going? I'm Professor Herp, and we're here with our first guest, Adam Wickens. This is my first interaction with him ever. Kind of just picked him at random on YouTube. Really don't know him too much, so we're just going to talk about his journey a little bit into reptiles and not really, well, not even really into reptiles, but a little bit of how he got to reptiles and how he got to kind of, you know, this up-and-coming YouTuber, 75,000 subs now, right, Adam? Uh, that's that's right, Jim, uh, Dr. Amphibian. <laughs> I, uh, I've loved your channel and you're kind of the main motivation. So finally at 75, it's been a, a big thing. Thanks, Jim, for having me on. <laughs> that's your name, um, right, Jim? Dr. Yes, Reptile? Totally. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, it's close. It starts okay. with a J, so. Okay, all right. Yeah, there you go. Dr. Reptile. I mean, it's, you know, that's same rep, the same realm right there. So yeah. that works out for me, but, you know. It's first time meeting. I don't didn't expect you to. It's not like I made a video and then like reversed Wiccans and Wicked, you know, or something like that. No, I, I definitely didn't see anything like that one. And uh, but it's you know I'm just happy that you, you had me on your show. <laughs> All right. So I wanted to kind of talk around, uh, talk about how Adam got to you know him being on YouTube and doing all this stuff. I know somewhat about how he got into YouTube, especially specifically with the reptiles, but, uh, there's more about his past that I thought would be interesting to talk about and see how that kind of mixed in with reptiles instead of having a conversation about reptile care or something like that. And I thought this would be just a little bit more interesting, just a little bit more about his story. So the first thing I believe, well, I guess the first question I can ask, I kind of just assumed weightlifting came first, but did uh, am I right in, in saying that you you started that before comedy? Uh, yeah, so I did. I started that in like 2010. Was kind of like when I decided I'm going to do this as more than um, leisure. Uh, and then comedy, I didn't really start until 2017. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I thought because you know I see your Facebook pictures and some of the ones with weightlifting, I see a little bit of hair in there. So I was like, that had to be a long time ago. So yeah, that was, yeah, that was many moons ago. <laughs> so with weightlifting, I mean, first of all, what, what got you into it? Because I mean, it looked like you really took it seriously. We had a brief conversation before starting to record about what you were doing with that. So what, what, what got you into number one, I don't know, working out in general, being a little bit more healthy. And then number two, to take it up from just leisure. Uh, well, like, to be honest, it, it has zero to do with health at all. I didn't care. I just wanted to look like, uh, <laughs> something was carved in a marble. And, mm -hmm. um, it, that started like when I was really young. Cause my dad used to work out in the basement. Like I'm talking, I was, I don't know, four or five. So I've always had an interest in it. And then I would see bodybuilders on TV and think it was cool. And then, uh, I met this guy, uh, named Paul when I was, uh, 18, I think. And he took me to the gym and he's like, uh, 
like this is how you get big. And this guy was this guy was had the genetics where if he uh, could smell dumbbells, he would just automatically get a pump and start gaining muscle. He had the most <laughs> ridiculous genetics ever. He had like the the faux hawk, and he looked like a Guido and wore um, leather <laughs> shoes to train. It was he was yeah, a, I already got a picture. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, and he kind of showed me what I was doing and like how to do it. And then I kind of started researching more, and I worked at a call center, and I like most of it is like technique and and uh, diet. Um, and he told me what to eat. And then, uh, I, I kind of decided like a few months in, like, okay, I want to try to compete and see how this goes. And then I went to my first bodybuilding competition, like two years later and saw what the competition was actually like with a buddy of mine, actually the guy who, um, owns the comedy club where I first started doing comedy oh, okay. I were gym buddies first. And, um, I just decided, okay, I'm going to try this. And I got big enough where I could compete and I competed and I took two first place trophies and kind of, awesome. that was I decided I was going to continue doing that. And then uh, I tore my shoulder apart and was like, okay, can't do this anymore. I guess I'll tell jokes about stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, I, I kind of feel you on the shoulder problems. I, I was mentioning, you know, I did a little lifting in college, but uh, and you might find this interesting, but my dad uh, was a really, really good college football player. Um, he tried out for a few different NFL teams at the wide receiver position, and he was an All-American at wide receiver with Jerry Rice. And um, he was, you know, obviously big on the football workouts, old-style, 70s-type stuff. So that's kind of where I got my inspiration for doing long sessions. And uh, obviously, you know, the older workouts, I don't think we're focused too much on technique, and I have super bad shoulders now, so... Um, what school did your dad go to? Uh, College of New Jersey. He was Division Three. Oh, okay. Um, so, but he has a ton of records there, and he tried out for the Patriots, Giants, and I think Redskins. Um, and uh, the the only holdback was they thought he was a little slow. Yeah, as a wide receiver, that'd be a big problem. So, did you grow up playing football? Did like he encourage you to play football? So, um, he, I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, as you might think, he, he really didn't like push it on me, but I did play football. I played quarterback, um, which was very interesting because I was, so I was always pretty short until eighth grade and then eighth grade, I was super tall. And then I just stopped growing and sat at five foot eight, five foot nine for the rest of my life. So when I started playing, I was like in sixth grade and I could not see over my lineman. So I just had the tall, I had a good arm. So I just had to kind of guesstimate where the kid would be, where the wide receiver would be, and just threw it there, and it actually went pretty well, but it was pretty terrifying not knowing where it was going. But I did play that. I was more baseball, though, overall, in terms of what I enjoyed. Yeah, I, uh, I had the same problem. I didn't even grow up as tall as you. I'm like four inches shorter than you are, So, but I had the same. <laughs> but I grew up like Doug Flutie was my hero growing up, right? Like football was <laughs> like my main sport that I loved to watch, and uh, and play, but I was better at warming benches than anything else just because I couldn't, like, I just did not have the size to be competitive. So, yeah, you know, I, 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 I was never a fan. Like, I was yeah. never a fan of the hitting, to be honest. Like, I mean, I don't know how to put it. I just never, like, I always had that shyness about leaning my shoulder in, and that kind of always held me back a little bit. Obviously, at quarterback, that's not too big of a deal, but when you're in, like, peewee, you, there's a lot of running at quarterback. So, you had to do a little bit of that, but I, I wasn't too big on the physicalness, I guess. But I, my size also, you know, wasn't there. 
So well, that's the thing too, is like people don't realize how big professional football players are until they see them. And then you got to realize like that professional was at a very similar size in high school. So Matt, you're looking mm-hmm. at a guy who was, you know, 250 in high school where, I mean, I, I didn't even get a, like, I think I graduated at 120 pounds. So there was no yeah. way. And there's a guy that I went to school that I played with and he's, um, uh, he was picked 23rd overall in the 2014 draft the CFL. Cool. And he won a great cup a couple of years back. So it's like we played with really good competition. We, we're known as the football factory of Canada. We have got more professionals that come out of this area than anywhere else. So mm-hmm. not only was I not prepared to play because of my size, but also the competition here is basically better than anywhere else in the country. Yeah. So yeah, I, I warm benches really good though. My butt has, uh, <laughs> I mean, has warm benches for some uh, future CFL Hall of Famers. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the program I was a part of was pretty good too. Uh, they uh, we we were right outside of Philadelphia, so we. We had a lot of Eagles and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. You you know, I don't know why I'm explaining it to you. Um, uh, you know, they would put their kids in the program. So I don't know. You probably don't know many, many Eagles, but there's a, a good center, John Runyon. His kid was in there um, and their kids. I mean, let alone, you know, the, them coming and seeing how massive they were, but their kids were just built the same exact way. So at least I knew that if I had his kid at center, you know, I had at least one guy who was not coming through the defense. So there was that. But, um, yeah, no, I, I under, I definitely understand what you mean by them being kind of a totally different ball game than some of us, uh, smaller individuals. And that's the thing too, is like, we're normal people. And then they're like these, they're not professional athletes. Aren't like us. They are of a different being. And until you like see it, it until you like stand next to one of them, it's like standing next to a bodybuilder. Like I remember the very first time going to a professional show and bringing people who have never like been around real bodybuilders before and their jaws were on the floor. They have to pick them up. Like these are not <laughs> regular human beings. These might as well be a different species. They're not the same thing as you and I. So that's why when everyone's like, or Emmett Smith, uh, all men are created equal. Some of us work harder in preseason. It's like, that is not true at all. You are mm. not created the same as me, dude. Sorry. That's not true. Yeah, I, I off of that though. I mean, I I feel like my idea of all that is obviously, the everybody has some type of genetic, whether it be physical, mental, or something where you know it, it, they're they're probably it's their most excelling. I don't know how to put it, a skill or trait or something that kind of gives them quite an edge in some area. But you know, some people it's like football and they're massive and they have really good genetics for that and they're built differently. But then you have some people who are just like really good at speaking just naturally and have their way. Like, I I think, you know, people might get a little thrown off by like, Oh, if I'm not built genetically, I'm probably not going to have a chance in, in football or something like that. And you know, I, you do first of all, but it's going to probably be a lot harder, but I still think everybody has something that, makes them stick out a little bit more like, you know, you with comedy and you with doing YouTube stuff, you have a good voice, you have a good keen eye for editing. I think everybody has something that they can exploit and it, you know, it might be different than someone else's, but I don't, I don't think just cause you can't make football, you know, it's just, I hope you get what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think that's like the difference between talent and skill. A skill is something that you build and you have to work very hard to build mm-hmm. And talent to a certain extent is the same, but you are born with a natural ability to do something. For example, if you're LeBron James 
and you're built like that, that is talent. And then because he works so hard, harder than most human beings could even fathom, that is skill. So that is why when you can, when you put talent and skill together, you get LeBron James and you get Tom mm-hmm. Brady and you get like these super athletes where some guys like uh, a Michael Irving, for example, or a better uh, Terrell Owens, who is notorious for like skipping workouts or Gronkowski, mm-hmm. an even better example, especially this week, it came out that he was faking his workouts during preseason. And that guy has the most talent, like an unbelievable amount of talent. And he has an unbelievable amount of skill as well, but he probably doesn't need to work as hard as someone who is a lot smaller than him and less gifted than him to be in the same level. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, I've, I've seen some of those people, you know, maybe not to the degree of some of the individuals you're mentioning, but there's always been, I'm, I'm sure if you've gone to a gym in general, even just, you know, for general health and general workout, there's always that one dude who seems to only be there for a little bit of time and he's either like just can run like 10 miles no problem or like just can just lift an insane amount and it seems like they're doing half the stuff you're doing obviously there's probably a lot more to it in terms of like technique and stuff that maybe you don't know about but it just seems like there's always some people who are just like that yeah, there and there are, and especially I, I competed in natural bodybuilding, right? So this is like they would they would literally test you. They, you have to pee in a cup, and mm-hmm. there's certain guys you look at and you're like laughing. You're like, "There's no this guy's gonna p- piss hot. There's no way he's gonna pass. <laughs> no way." And then they do, and it's like, "How on earth do you look like that? You don't work as hard as me. You were drinking pop. You were drinking full sugar Coca Cola backstage before you. How are you <laughs> that shredded?" And it's just certain people have these freak genetics and i know it pisses guy. you off doesn't it it does and he competed natural <laughs> and he's like i'm gonna compete open and uh he ended up getting an ifbb pro card and he took a, a test voluntarily even though he didn't have to to be like hey you can do this without steroids which none of us could even believe it's crazy but that's just a test uh, like a an ode to the genetics that uh most of us do not have yeah so in terms of those competitions, were they somewhat like, I mean, was it all in kind of good fun or was there some just kind of like intense, almost steroid like rage going on between some people? And like, was it like a bunch of bodybuilders just like, you know? Uh, well, the thing is, too, like, especially you, you, this is kind of hard for most people to believe. Uh, it's way more unhealthy to compete naturally than it is on steroids because your testosterone levels as you're dieting to that level are going so low and you're kind of, you're not drinking water for the last couple of days. So it's very unhealthy. And because of that, your body is like resisting everything you're doing. So you're in a bad mood constantly (laughs) for the 16 weeks that you're prepping. You are in a bad mood and it's hard to be around. My family will tell you that and they'll laugh about it because it is true. It's hard to be around you. So you get all these guys, all these alpha type personalities in the same room pumping up with a limited amount of weights. Like there are definitely times where people I'm surprised there was no fist thrown. I've never seen actual backstage <laughs> fights, but you've heard of them before. And um, for the most part, it's like, you know, I, I like to do this. You like to do this. And it's like a camaraderie thing. When it comes to like backstage right before you're about to walk on, like there's people hiding people's towels and stuff like that. Like it's not really a friendly atmosphere. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, that was kind of what I was thinking, but uh, at the same time, I, I was just waiting for you to be like, nah, everybody was just like, you know, playing Monopoly beforehand. And <laughs> yeah, no, we were like, even like the guys that you kind of get along with, it's just like, uh, you're just kind of talking about, Hey man, I'm going to eat 17 boxes of Oreos after I walk up that stage and like stuff like that. So it's, <laughs> man, it's so weird. The last few weeks too, like the last six weeks are always the hardest. And like, I'm talking about 
There's nothing in my life I've ever done that it was as hard mentally as dieting for these shows. And in the last few weeks, for whatever reason, I would get into watching um, eating competitions on YouTube. So I'd watch these guys <laughs> like uh, Joey Chestnut and Matt Stoney and like all these guys in eating competitions as I literally cannot eat anything for the next four hours because it's my allotted time for fasting. <laughs> I don't know. It's like the most torturous thing ever, but I don't know. I know yeah. a lot of people do that. You talk to a lot of them. And they're like, yeah, I used to, I love watching people eat three gallons of ice cream as I'm sitting here eating broccoli. That's like so weird. <laughs> That's kind of funny. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why you would do that to yourself. The only time I could kind of relate is I one time had to get like a, I don't know, a, I had like a stomach issue and I had to drink. I don't know if you, you might've had to do something like this. If you ever had something where they had to, um, I don't, I don't know what machine it was, but you have to basically drink a dye. Yes. And, yeah, I've heard um, that before. Yeah. And it's disgusting and you can't have any food for like 12 to 24 hours. So all you have is this really crappy tasting liquid that you have to drink a ton of. And that's I got, that's the only way I can relate. And I know this has no, you know, connection to what we're doing, but it's bringing up terrible memories. Yeah, at least I can put mustard on my disgusting bland chicken. <laughs> I, as to this day, I still love mustard and hot sauce because there's zero calories, but they're like a lot of flavor. Yeah. All right. So let's um, let's talk a little bit more about your comedy. So how did did you start comedy at all when you're doing weightlifting or did that like how long did you do the weightlifting for you said 2010 and yeah, then you so started comedy in 2017 so yeah like i remember the day too it was july 17th i was like looking in the mirror at my gym and i'm like okay i'm gonna take this seriously and then um so i did that and then my last competition was in 2015 and okay. uh then 2017 i started comedy but the very first time i ever did stand up was actually in may of 2010 and I just did it one time and I didn't really know what I was doing and I got some laughs, but then that's when I had like this decision. Am I going to try to compete or am I going to try to do comedy? And I figured oh, okay. I'm going to be young one time. I'm going to have a healthy body one time. Let me do this first. And then uh, it took me like a year after I kind of like, got, you know, figured out what I wanted to do. And then I just started doing comedy and I did it once. And then I just never stopped. Like I've done comedy at least a few times a week every week well until lockdown right but yeah yeah so it was just one of those things i don't know how to do anything kind of like that's why when i eventually go back to a gym like it's going to be a problem for me not to injure myself again like i don't know how to do something a little bit to have a hobby yeah everything i do has to like take over my life like i, I really things. understand that I, I do that with a lot of stuff where like you always have to push to you almost the maximum for whatever you try to do and I mean, maybe that's, I don't know if that's exactly what you're saying, but that's, I always feel like any hobby I start, anything I do, I have to go in like 110% where I feel like I should have some hobbies where it's just like fun and all about the fun and relaxed. Yeah. And I don't know if I've ever had a hobby like that. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I do is like always, you know, kind of like balls to the walls type thing. And mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I would say I ever pushed as much as as you have with, you know, some of the stuff you've been doing. I mean, the cool thing about what you did is every hobby you've done, it seems like you've always had some success in, which is really, you know, that's a lot of cool, fun memories to have. You know, you you won weightlift or uh, what is it? The bodybuilding competitions in comedy, you, you know, you, you have really good sets and a lot of people come for you. And then now reptiles. You know, I, I think that speaks for itself. So at least in your hobbies, you know, you you have a formula, I feel like, that 
you 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 get to a good level of success in them. So at least you have that. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm uh, goal oriented almost to a fault where uh, I don't. It, I never really thought of it, but like I don't really get upset if I don't hit a goal, but I obsess over reaching a goal. So, and the thing is with with uh, reptiles, that's awesome because my goals are I want to have the coolest reptile room with like the best care for my reptiles and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's like beneficial. Where with weightlifting or in bodybuilding, it was like I want to have the most shredded physique ever. And if I go into kidney failure, I don't care. It's like, (laughs) that's probably not healthy, but you know, like I want to have like the most beautiful collection of reptiles. I want it to be the most, um, impressive to look at. And if you have an impressive reptile collection to look at, that means that you have really good care of your reptiles and you have really cool enclosures and you're giving them everything that they need. So yeah, I think this is kind of like a healthier obsession. Yeah. Yeah. No, especially it's good for the reptiles. I always been, uh, you know, I always, I've, many people, and I'm sure there's, you know, quite the debate on what side people fall in, but I, I feel like for a lot of animals, captivity is, is a better life than the wild. I mean, they don't have to, if you do it right, obviously, you know, it, it depends on how you, you set it up, but a lot of people, especially people who don't keep reptiles, think that it's detrimental or harmful to be almost forcing a captive state upon some, some animals. But I mean, I, I can only imagine, like imagine not having to fight for your food, not running into predators, having optimal levels of things you need to live like UVB and humidity and not going through bad sheds or losing a toe. And I just feel like, yeah, there are some restrictions on captivity, but if you do it right, I feel like it's much better than where they would be naturally. And what is ridiculously funny about that is my video that comes out in five minutes is called is keeping reptiles in captivity (laughs) cruel. It's literally all about exactly what you just said and saying those exact same points that you said. And you you and I did not talk about this before, but it is almost exactly word for word. That's funny. What you said, it just takes me 14 minutes and 30 seconds to say it. I even just remembered that it was Thursday. I was thinking it was Friday for some reason. (laughs) Man, I thought it was Friday all day too. I don't know why. I don't know. I was like, oh wait, it is Thursday and his video is coming out. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes out in five minutes as of this. But this isn't live right so yeah no it's not it's already been out yeah so anyway that that's funny um but yeah so you know i think that is a good goal and i think it's good for number one showing people you know how to properly keep reptiles and how to do it right and it's good for the reptiles themselves so you know i I think that is a goal good goal there obviously too much obsession is you know you know you feel like there's there's always trade-offs with being you know you could be i don't know how to say it but like it takes a lot of work, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, it's not like doing, uh, being successful, being very goal oriented and driven and doing all these things is, is easy. It takes a lot of time commitment. And with all the new things you've been putting out, I feel like since you've gone full time, it's definitely probably is, I would, I would almost assume probably taken up more time than you were working before you went full time. Yeah, I like because I thought I was gonna get way more done. It's like, oh well, now I don't have a like a day job getting in the way, and it just there's just more stuff that you put more time into that you didn't expect to take so much time. So that's why I mean I don't I don't pay too much attention to it. But you see on these reptile groups, and it's like anybody with a camera can just. It's like okay, then no, you you do it then. It it just takes so much time, and like people think, well, you you're living the dream, and it's it's true. I am, but. Also, there is no clocking out from this job. I have all these live beings 
and it does, it's more than 40 hours of work easily. So mm-hmm. it's not like I'm just sitting here in my pajamas until noon and then throwing a video together. It's like, it is, it is a job, but at the end of the day, I'm not complaining at all because yeah. if I could well, do anything in the world, it'd be taking care of reptiles and showing it on some sort of television platform, which now YouTube is the platform mm-hmm. doing comedy. So I'm literally living the dream that I would have set out. If you asked me when I was 10, what do you want to do with your life? What I'm doing right now. Well, number one, that's that's great. That's very nice to hear because, you know, I'm not all I, I, that just shows, you know, that I feel like that anybody who really puts their time and commit commitment into anything can can really achieve it in some capacity. And, you know, it's not things don't always have to be a dream. But at the same time, I mean, I, I understand I, in terms of I don't edit my videos anymore, but just putting recording and editing a video can sometimes just be a full day's work and i think since you started going full-time you've added on tiktok you've been doing these shorts uh and those i mean you just moved in into a new house and you're setting up probably enclosures still i would have to imagine fixing them up and stuff like that since you know a move with a bunch of reptiles is not like a two-day job no so, it takes forever man it, 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 it takes forever and actually i'm um, the big room that I have in my house, that's, it's 400 plus square feet. And I was mm-hmm. going to make it into like a theater room and Michelle kind of convinced me. She's like, you should make that the reptile room. So my, you know, 180 square foot reptile room. Now I'm convert, I'm going to put that into a much larger room. I'm doing the renovation on that right now. So it's going to be impressive when it's done, but that's like another thing where it's like mm-hmm. work related, but Holy cow, it takes so long to, you know, do anything there. Yeah, and I mean, the behind the scenes too, I mean, just general care and stuff like that. I mean, I've known, like, there's so many unexpected things that happen with reptiles that I feel like you you don't ever prepare for, not that you you would, but like, you know, you have sometimes, you know, I take a reptile to a vet and I could end up spending like five hours there because it's slow that day or, you know... had it took me forever to get frappuccino into his thing because he wanted to be sassy it's just like things like that behind the scenes that really don't directly have to do with the youtube can sometimes can you know be quite time consuming too i feel like it's not just like you said picking up a camera recording and going straight to the work it's not it's not like other uh niches in youtube like you can't just like log on a video game and record it you know what i mean I think that anything is like that too. And like, we're talking about that because we are, you know, we're YouTubers. So that's what we know. And like, people don't understand that because they're on the outside looking in, but we're on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, comedy's like that. Bodybuilding was like that. And honestly, so. like of all the things, bodybuilding is was probably more time consuming than anything else because there are no off days. You can't do more work on Monday and then take the day on Tuesday like you could with this. Um, because you have to eat every two hours and stuff. So I think that anything that you're really good at takes this level of commitment that you don't realize until you are neck deep into it. Uh, but this is just kind of like, yeah, I, like I, I, I talk about it like it's so much work, but I just don't want to confuse that with. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess the thing is that the different, cause I, I agree with you. I, I understand what you mean. I guess the difference here is, is that, you know, like I, I almost, when I'm thinking about what you're saying, I'm thinking, you know, like all the work that you put into doing bodybuilding and then going to the competitions, I feel like that's all part of the competition where I feel like almost it comes across where like, you don't really, at least in my mind, directly connect the reptile work to the YouTube, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like, it's not like you... I don't know how to put it. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. It's not like, it's not like 
taking care of the reptiles, although it is, directly contributes to putting together a video. You know what I mean? Like, it's not part of the editing, it's not part of the recording, but it is. Like, you get that? Yeah, I do. And, and okay. like, I, uh, <laughs> I have another YouTuber friend, and he does, uh, he, like, paints models, basically. Uh, paints okay. Life is his, uh, he's the one who actually called me before, before this started. And um, he he was kind of saying, like, well, yeah, I have to do, like, I have to write a story, and I have to paint this thing. And I'm like, dude, come come change reptile betting. <laughs> like we all have something else. Yeah. So to be good at YouTube, you have to be good at two things. You have to be good at making videos and running a YouTube channel. And you have to be good at whatever it is your channel is about. Mm -hmm. So if you're, you know, uh, your channel is about working out, well, you have to have a better physique than 99% of people. Otherwise they won't watch you. So you have to keep up with that or reptiles, right? That's what we do. So you have to take care of a big reptile collection or, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. You have to be really good at two things to be successful on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I almost fell into my own trap there in terms of, I guess the real thing when it boils down to it is sometimes YouTube doesn't feel like a real job or way to make money, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that's the thing too, is like and a lot of people say that to me, and I don't mm -hmm. take it personally anymore, because at the end of the day, if I said to you, okay, well, is making movies you know, or making mm -hmm. short films even like something like trying to dumb it down. Cause at the end of the day, like it is easier to do this. I don't have a production crew and everything else, but at the end of the day, I'm making entertainment for people. So, mm -hmm. and education, right? Education, yeah, yeah. let's call it. So if I'm making <laughs> entertainment and that's not a job, well, are the people making the movies that you watch? Do those people have jobs or no? Cause at what point and where is the difference? Where is the line in the sand that you're drawing? So I think that this is a real job and a real career. I just think it's going to evolve differently just like you know the guys who got famous on vine and they just continue to uh move along with the most current platforms well mm -hmm. it's gonna be the same thing with this youtube won't last forever and that's why i'm trying to branch out to tiktok and instagram i want to be so that no matter what platform you're on you know who i am so that whenever the next big thing i already have a head start when that comes out you know what i mean yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and definitely am way behind myself on that i I feel weird committing to TikTok. I'm, I'm, I've liked Vine a lot, and I feel like TikTok is just a mockery of Vine. I could not agree anymore with you. I totally agree. <laughs> and uh, you know what, though? The, the longer – and I got TikTok, and I, I follow seven people. It's just people I want to support. Like one of my subscribers, he's yeah. like big on uh, Sandboas. 18,000? Like good for him. Oh, uh, cool. A comedian friend of mine and like a couple Canadian channels because to me, Canadian humor is funny. But it's only really funny for Canadians. So I follow like those. But then mm -hmm. I even get sucked into these – I promise myself. I'm, it's not going to be like Vine where I sit there for an hour. You know what I mean? Like you're sitting on the pooper for an hour you're already done but you're just flicking through TikTok. <laughs> i didn't want to be that guy but i kind of like turned into it so now when i open the app i hit it and then i immediately hit my own profile just to like <laughs> do whatever i got to do on it because it's oh, easy to get sucked in olivia does that and like i mean it's just like like i don't i'm not even on tiktok and i already can like like play the different memes of tiktok in my head like the amount of times i heard the oh no oh no oh no no you know what i mean yes like, yeah i'm just like I feel like it's helpful though because I do a lot of um, other podcasts, not just reptile related, but like mm -hmm. a new comedy podcast and stuff. So if you are up on uh, pop culture, it like kind of creates talking points and makes it easier to transition to stuff. Yeah. And uh, TikTok is kind of like a big platform. It's actually bigger than Vine ever was, which yeah, I didn't realize true. until or want to admit until recently. Um, but I'm <laughs> with you, man. I because I think we were in our early 20s when Vine was a thing, right? And I yeah, I, I don't. I just thought Vine like 
it was a lot more funny. Like, I just, I don't, I mean, like, I get the entertainment and the place of these different dance TikToks and stuff, but, like, I don't know. It was just, like... Organic. It yeah, organic I don't know. Because yeah. these guys, like, now TikTok is... I mean, it, Vine had it, too, where, like, the Chris D'Elia's, where it was already famous people, you know? And Riff Raff, he was a big star, too, on Vine, and he was already famous, but it was a lot of, like, star, like King Batch, um, the Paul Brothers... Uh, like guys like that, right? And they, mm-hmm. so they kind of started off as nobody's. Curtis Lepore is the best example. He was sleeping on an air mattress in a friend's uh, living room. And then all of a sudden he became the most watched person on Vine. And he kind of started his career like that. So it was like kind of like an uprising. Where mm-hmm. on TikTok, you see that a little bit, but not as much. And there's more production value in TikTok. Where with Vines, it was just kind of like, especially at the beginning, it was just kind of like very organic, very quick. And just whatever happens, happens. Where with TikTok, it's like orchestrated. Some people have like crews. They hire crews to make TikTok. Yeah. So just, there's more barrier to entry. I will say the one thing I like about TikTok is that it feels I, – I like – in terms of discovery and getting discovered and having people like getting in the algorithm, getting your video shown – I find it a lot better and easier for people to find you, discover you, watch your stuff than on any other social media platform. I agree. And like, I, by no means do I have like very much success, but in one day I went from 540 to 1100 followers just from one video. And I don't really know what I did to, because <laughs> all my other videos are like 200 views or 200, you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'm trying to figure it out, but I do like challenges like this. I'm just trying not to go full Adam Wickens here where I just kind of like dive into it and dedicate my life to it. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, I'm glad I have this YouTube thing. Cause I like that. That's my favorite platform, but this TikTok thing, I'm going to try to, if I can get to like 10,000, you know, yeah. you know well, I think the, cool. the good thing there is that, you know, with shorts and YouTube, like you said, you can kind of do that on multiple platforms with kind of this one video. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I agree. And I just think that it's uh, it's just a different thing all the way around. And every, you know, and Instagram too is another one where like, oh my goodness. But you see like the big ones, like the Bar Chucks and the Jay's Prehistoric Pets, like those ones that are niche, those are like the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. And they have like crews to do it, right? So Jay will just be like, here, come here and let me show you. And he'll talk for 30 seconds and be like, all right, now go edit that and post it and do the hashtags. So he has people to do that where people at our level, we can't afford to hire anybody. So it's like- yeah. <laughs> all on us not saying that those guys don't work their butts off because they do mm-hmm. but yeah i just feel like at this level it's kind of hard to have the presence on all the platforms at yeah. that level no i 100 percent agree let's talk a little bit more about um your comedy though and i just want to kind of what well, one thing i've always been curious on is i mean you've kept you kept reptiles for how long uh, i got my first reptile I can't remember if it was 2008 or 2009. So it's been over a decade. And then when would you say you really started like focusing on reptiles? Uh, 2016. 2016. Yeah. That so, was, uh, yeah, for sure. Cause that's when I like started going to expos and stuff and I, okay. the bodybuilding thing was like, okay, there is no comeback for me. So what's next? Okay. So you do some sets and even in sets that aren't focused on it, you do throw in some jokes that are reptile related. Did you always kind of from the beginning have sets where you tried to incorporate reptile stuff or did that come more as you did comedy? Um, man, to be honest, I barely ever talk about reptiles at all. And it's something that I try to work in. It's just, 
maybe I'm not a good enough joke writer, but I get asked th this question a lot from people, from comedians. How come you never talk about reptiles or YouTube? I never talk about it because I just don't know how. And like my style is very observational and okay. I try to make jokes about things that people can relate to. And I feel like most people can't relate to what I do. True. I, I do. So you told me you've done sets around reptiles before. I've never seen that, but I, I have seen you say some reptile jokes in the, what do you want to call them? The, the zoom. I don't know. Oh, what the, the roasts. Yeah. yeah. The roast. I have seen some of them, mostly hemi peen jokes, but, yeah. um, <laughs> which are good, but I, I guess on those zoom calls, you, you also do have, I mean, you, you, you get a lot of people from YouTube who then, like you said, can kind of connect to those jokes. So, I, I get what you you mean there. So you, but you're saying generally with comedy, you actually don't incorporate it as much as I yeah, guess not, I'm thinking you do. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too is because like all you've ever seen is stuff where I can have my audience watch. Like yeah. You've never been because obviously you've never like come to Canada to watch, right? So yeah. yeah. It, those sets are very different, and that's like the meat and potatoes, and that's a very different thing. With these roasts, I feel like I have the upper hand on everybody because I have an audience and they don't. Mm -hmm. So if there's 60 people watching, I know 40 of them are there for me. So it's it's very different. But with a, a, a like a local show, I'm nobody. I, the, the only merit I have is on my comedy. So it's a very different thing. So that's why mm -hmm. I do so well in these roasts is because I feel like of all the you know because comedy is. Nobody talks about it, but like if, if I said, hey, do you like music? You'd be like, of course. Do you like country? Well, no, I hate country. Well, there's nothing like that in comedy. Do you love comedy? Yes, but there's no real genres, right? Like mm -hmm. if, if who, what is Dane Cook's genre? What is Bill Burr's genre? Like, I feel like there could be, but who, who organizes yeah. comedy like that? Right, we don't label them like that. Yeah. So I think that that's kind of like why I do well for those roasts because I can, I don't know, I do a very broad type of comedy. Everyone's there kind of to... Uh, I get to pull in an audience where, mm -hmm. you know, comedy at a club, it's not really like that at all. So it, it's like, it's kind of like a crapshoot, right? I'm not really a big enough name where I can draw people in. So whoever shows up, shows up for comedy and they don't really know who they're going to see other than whoever they came for. If it's their friend or someone they follow on social media, whatever. So that is the meat and potatoes of it. That's the hardest part is, and I'm definitely not, uh, I don't know. I'm not of the level of like what, people see on netflix that's why when people oh you're a comedian you make money doing it so you're a professional how come i haven't heard of you it's like because i'm not at that level it takes years and years and years and most of these comedians that you know of they were struggling for 20 years before you even knew who they were yeah and i, I mean maybe i'm wrong on this and you can tell me if i'm wrong but i also feel like with things like comedy acting there's, there's also an element of just kind of luck of meeting kind of the right people and being in the right place at the right time i mean i'm sure there's a lot of great comedians who just never found their path to who, who could have if they did found their path to being a bigger name that is true for sure and i think that there is a break right for everybody but mm -hmm. i also feel like most people even if you're the funniest guy in the room, but you haven't been doing it for long enough, there's this thing in comedy, especially where it's like that guy hasn't earned it yet. So even if you're really, really good, like there, you have to be kind of like a Jim Carrey type where you are so good. It is out of this world right off the bat. And you kind of have to take big risks, huge risks. So I'm talking about like you have no money and you go, you know, you move from Scarborough and then you go, which is like a city near Toronto. And then you move to New York or LA and you kind of have to take these huge risks and uh, it might not pan out. There's guys here um, 
Glenn Foster is a great example. The Canadian guy, he's huge in Canada, right? Mm -hmm. I've done lots of shows with this guy. He moved to LA in the eighties and just, it never hit. But then there's guys like Jim Carrey, who everybody knows who Jim Carrey is to the point where I talk about it and people are like, he's not Canadian. It's like, yes, he is. He is Canadian. <laughs> he was the biggest comedian of all time at one point, you know? So it's just kind of like, it's a lot of luck of the draw, but it's also a lot of like hustling and mm -hmm. hustle like no other. And comedian uh, actors are like that too, but you are right. There is kind of like this luck that some people just do not hit. Yeah, I, I guess also another way to put it is it can be potentially a lot easier for you depending on kind of who you know, who you meet, situations you're put in. Yeah. You, you could maybe accelerate a little bit quicker. It is a networking thing too. And a lot yeah. of people who have a hard time, you know, talking to people, it would be hard. And I would be lying if I wasn't saying that I am trying to leverage my popularity on YouTube uh, to get onto bigger shows, bring audiences and things like that. So mm -hmm. and that's the thing too, is like you see, and comedians hate this. They, they say that you're not a real comedian, but if you get famous on YouTube or get a following on YouTube or TikTok or Vine or whatever, and then you start filling comedy clubs, no matter how good you actually are, they'll just hate on you. Like you're not real. But then there's guys like Drew Lynch. Uh, he's the guy who he's got like a stutter, like a very, Mm -hmm. pronounced stutter um yeah. very funny comedian absolutely hilarious but he got famous on youtube first but then everyone kind of like saw that he was funny and deserved to be there so it's like this weird thing where people didn't like him at first and then all of a sudden they did because they realized that yeah sure he got lucky this way he got famous on this other platform but also he's a real comedian so there's a lot of this like that guy's a hack that guy's not a real comedian it's a it's a very weird subculture very weird yeah, I could kind of feel that. I mean, I guess that kind of connects to what you were saying about uh, you got to have to pay your dues a little bit, you know, like in, in all, terms. Every comedian in the world is broken. There is something wrong with you. If you stand <laughs> on a stage and you talk about your life to people who are going to heckle you, and like there is no comedian who is 100% there. Like mm -hmm. all of them have issues. So I think that it's a lot of like broken people. And a lot of the times you meet people and uh, like, I've got some really great friends and especially in Niagara where I'm from, we have a very close community mm -hmm. where everybody really likes each other. But then there used to be a community called the Toronto standup community on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to watch a barn fire, if you wanted to watch the most disgusting dumpster fire ever, just log on there any day of the week. And there's four of them for you to watch. It is the most toxic type of subculture. What's but with Canadian Facebook groups? Man, I don't know. We're brutal. Like, we're so nice in person. I will hold a door for you if you're 400 feet away and wait for you. But on Facebook, like people are just brutal. Yeah, but it's specifically Canadian ones. I mean, I'm not like all can all Facebook groups have some toxicity, but like the Facebook ones, anything like can, Canadian, you know, the reptile groups. I think it's just we're, like there's so few of us. So like because our population <laughs> is like, what, 10 percent? Yeah, 10% of the US, I think. So it's like, we're, it's such a small group. So like, I don't know if like there's more competition, like even though there's less competition, we feel like there's more because like it's like this crabs in a bucket thing. And especially on these <laughs> Facebook groups for reptiles, it's a lot of like, I know more than you. No, I know more than you. And it's not about mm. like providing the best care or anything like that. It's just, and a lot of them too it is a jealousy thing. And I never used to say this, yeah. but I was on Brian Cusco's and he's like, man, you just need to call it what it is. And that's what it is because it's like, you probably do know more than me but you didn't start a channel or anything really a blog of Instagram, whatever. So you don't have an audience. So now you know more than me, but you don't know how to get out your better knowledge because you don't have a platform. So it's like a frustration thing, I think more than anything else. Yeah. I don't know. I also feel like in terms of uh, the jealousy thing, like 
for me personally, like, I mean, obviously I'm in a, like, much smaller type of, type of zone than you, but I always, I always have imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? Like, I'm always like, maybe this person's right and I am a fraud and I don't really think, you know, I'm not really seeing the picture. You get what I mean? Yeah, I feel that too, a lot. And I do second guess myself a lot. But mm-hmm. I think that, I don't know, to a certain extent, like that's probably not good for your mental health. But No, it's they, not. <laughs> it's, no, it's not. But it is good for your care because you will look things up several times to make sure that for sure I am right about this. That's definitely one of the reasons I wanted to start a channel is because, I mean, you know, I come from a research information type of data background. So any type of data feedback, stuff like that I can get, I, I love being able to get because it informs me. And uh, one of the reasons I did YouTube is I could get feedback directly from multiple people on my care, my thoughts, how I went about things, and it would only improve my care of the reptiles and make me know more about them. So uh, I think there's that aspect, but I I feel like it's all too easy, you know, like um, even even I I would say that, you know, once you pass like a thousand on YouTube or something, you do have some type of a following and it kind of like is like, I don't know, do I really like deserve this? Am I really offering something unique? I mean, you have these veterans out there who, you know, are really great. Like just, just listen to them. I think that's the difference too, between feedback of performing on camera, editing it and putting it out later for people on the internet and performing in front of people in person, because in person, you're going to get feedback immediately. And there's nothing more immediate than stand up. It's you and a microphone, you're talking to people and you get a reaction immediately. And it's the yeah. only art form where you need to do live. With making videos, you'll get a reaction nearly immediately. As soon as the video comes out, you'll get a reaction. But that reaction is also skewed because people are a lot more brave on the internet. Yes, they are. People say things to me on the internet that they would never say to me in person unless it's a bigger crowd and they're drunk. That's a different thing. (laughs) And those people are way ruder. But at the end of the day, I remove them immediately. You know, there's a security guy there. Get this guy Mm -hmm. out. But on the internet, you can be as brave as you want. But what I always Mm -hmm. find is the guys who are the loudest, who have the most to say, who are the most mean and negative on the internet are the same guys you see at the show. You make eye contact with them and then they look at at the floor. They don't actually want confrontation. They don't actually think you're wrong. They don't actually dislike you. They just like dislike what you're doing. So yeah, I just think that it's like... uh, kind of funny actually the with the way that people react but i would also say and i think you're in the same boat i get way more positive feedback and it's way more of a positive experience and it kind of drowns out the few negative nancies that are on there yeah i mean any following uh, yeah I, th- I think you just you know in any following you get you're always going to get negatives you know like not everybody's positive not everybody's going to like you and that's normal you know so uh, i do think people are a little bit braver i do think there's some comments I've gotten that I feel like, you know, number one, if you were to talk to me about that, I feel like that's something you should kind of message me instead of put out in like a YouTube comment on a reptile video type of stuff. Um, so there, there are some, some weird stuff, but yeah, um, I I do generally agree. Yeah. No matter what you talk about, whatever, you know, whatever niche it is, if you don't have someone being negative towards you or someone disagreeing with you, then you're not really saying anything anyway. Mm-hmm. If you're saying things that are important, important things always have two sides and people are just going to disagree with you. So and I forget who said it, but if you don't have haters, you're not really saying anything. And mm-hmm. I think that is true to a certain point because yeah. the reason that we have 
the ability to speak freely is to talk about important and controversial things. So if you're not doing that, then you're not really saying much anyway. Yeah, I, I agree with you. All right, before we wrap up, I just want to, just one random question popped in my head, and I want to know if you've ever done it. Have you ever done improv? So no, and I always thought it was kind of like goofy, and I used to make fun of them, but now that I am, I don't know, I I do have an interest in doing it, and I haven't really spoken about it like publicly, but I would like to try acting to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I've never tried it, but it is something that I have interest in. Why? I've always loved Whose Line Is It Anyway. I kind of thought it was goofy until I watched that show, and I don't think I've laughed as hard as some of those shows. So I realized recently they just rebooted it. Um, Jim uh, Drew Carey is not the host anymore, but they just mm-hmm. rebooted it with most of the original cast, including Colin Mockery, who's Canadian and is kind mm-hmm. of like yeah, I love him. He's my favorite. Yeah, and he's like kind of like a Canadian gem. Like everybody knows who he is, and he's like mm-hmm. well loved here. So I love that show. I've always loved that show. I used to watch it when I was a kid, and that's kind of like another reason where I'm like, okay, maybe improv isn't for geeks. Like maybe I should try this. You know, it can be, but like I feel like there's a way where it could be like that show where it's actually funny and entertaining, and it's transferable skills for not only what I do but what you do too, right? Because. Mm-hmm. If you're talking in front of a camera, doing live streams, interviews, uh, podcasts, so it, it your reaction gets faster. So uh, yeah, I think that it's really cool and it's something that I would love to try if the world ever opens up again. Canada, <laughs> but true, uh, yeah, we'll yeah. See. All right, awesome. Uh, I appreciate your time, and I I think this was kind of a unique, cool conversation. I, I think I've particularly with this podcast that allowed me to you know kind of take reptiles and kind of explore kind of the people behind them and more fun, entertaining stories. And I, I kind of wanted to focus on that because, you know, I think there's an element, especially with public faces in the community where sometimes they're not looked at as people directly and more as like kind of like an entity or something like that. And I think it's kind of cool to have somewhat related reptile conversations, but kind of how you were formed to get there and stuff. So I think there's a lot of cool kind of side conversations we had here and I appreciate you you know taking your time out and stuff I know you have no problem doing that but I really appreciate it hey well thanks for having me on I, I listened to three episodes of your podcast before I got on today so I, <laughs> I I do like it and I think that uh, what you and Olivia have going on is actually really cool and the chemistry is like very much shows but uh thanks for having me on man I really appreciate it Yep, and obviously you could check Adam out at Wiccan's Wicked Reptiles. You probably already know about him. Um, I don't know what your TikTok is. It's the same thing. Everything's same, everything's the same. Yeah. So where I screwed up is all my socials are different names. Yeah, that's I, I learned that right at the beginning, and I changed my Instagram name immediately. So everything is exactly you the same. You can change name. it? Uh, yeah, you can change your Instagram name. I don't <laughs> know about TikTok, but Instagram you can change, yeah. Okay, maybe I'll look at that. Yeah, I really screwed up with that, and now, like, they're all different. And <laughs> All right, whatever. I'll, I'll look at that, though. I didn't know you can change it. Anyway, guys, thanks for watching, or watching. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it, uh, and we'll see you in the next episode. See ya. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. 
Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.